Welcome to episode 180 of Control the Controllables. And today we have the fifth best doubles team in the world in 2022. This year has been so easy. We just go from win to win, don't have to overthink anything. Everything happens easily like by itself. Next year, we are going to lose some matches. That's going to be... It, it happens to everybody. Just have to accept that. But the good thing is that we're still... 11 and 12, we can still continue the the way up. So we still have 10 more players ahead of us. So we're, we haven't haven't made it to number one yet. So we can we can still go on and just enjoy the the rise. And for anyone that has followed tennis this year on the ATP Tour, I think everyone will have a smile when they think of Harry Heliovara and Lloyd Glasspool as they've gone from being ATP Challenger players to making their way to the ATP Tour Finals last week in Turin. And when you watch them, you see Lloyd walking around as if he's not got a care in the world as Harry is celebrating with the masses. They really are chalk and cheese. They've had an amazing partnership over the last two years. And to get them on the show and hear them give this level of insight into what makes them tick as individuals, but also as a team, I think you're going to love this one. So settle in and enjoy Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Heliovara. So Lloyd and Harry, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. And this is, I didn't expect Lloyd to speak to me at that point. You know, the, the less words, the better with Lloyd. But I would like to welcome my, my second favourite Lloyd and Harry partnership. You know, and I, I never thought that I would get anyone coming close to the dumb and dumber Lloyd and Harry. So the big question is, Lloyd, who's dumb and who's dumber? Um, I think I would have to take dumb and Harry dumber, yeah. Did he have you doing the IQ test as well, Harry, in Turin? Yeah, we did some tests there, but we, we didn't do well there, though. <laughs> it didn't, pad. but boys, what, what a year you've had. 2022 started in the rankings at 78 and 64, respectively. End the year as the fifth best doubles team in the world, ranked 11 and 12 in the world. And and Harry, it's, it's one week on from Turin. You know, you've maybe finally had a little bit of time to just sit down and, and reflect on the last 12 months and what's your reflections been like? Yeah, obviously it's it's been a crazy year, I would say. Like we exceed at least all of my own expectations and probably not many other people thought that we could do so well. Started a little bit slow in Australia, but then during the during the spring just kept going played a little bit better, got some practice in, and I think the ending was just almost perfect. So just an amazing year. What would you put that down to, Lloyd? You know, I mean, I, I know having the fortune to spend some time with you guys in Turin last week, I know you were playing a challenger in Turin earlier in the year. You know, what what do you put such the such a meteoric rise down to? Um, leading up to this year, tennis was in a bit of a weird place, like, we were kind of stuck in challenges a little bit longer than I thought we deserved to be just because of the strength of them and the way the points were set out. So I don't actually think level-wise we were as far off at the beginning of the year as our ranking suggested. Um, 
But having said that, we have both worked very hard throughout the year. Um, there's been a couple key moments for us. Uh, I don't want to give anyone else the credit, but Harry came over to London a couple times throughout the year to do a little training camp together with Louis Kaya. And both times after those camps, we've actually gone on to probably produce some of our best tennis and best results. So those are kind of two standout moments for me. And in terms of it, Harry, like it's it's the sort of it's the sort of sport where, like Lloyd said, you can get stuck. It's not easy. And I, I always think in doubles, getting past 35, 40 is quite a tough spot as well. You know, you have to win a lot to, you know, it's almost like you guys were like knife through butter. Once you got going, you just you went and went. But the other thing we see in doubles is when the partnership, not that the partnership wasn't working. But it's easy for people to start blaming a little bit, looking elsewhere, having other offers. And, and I think it's it's great credit to both of you that you you have continued going, like you alluded to, one match out of four at the start in Australia, you know, but you've kept going with the partnership. You know, was there a moment for both of you where we where you thought maybe this isn't the partnership that's gonna work? And how have you been able to then work through that together? Yeah, I would say the key part was actually the end of last year, actually, end of 21, when we when we knew that we had to do really well in the last couple of challengers of the year to be able to get into Australia together. And because we had such a good result, uh, in the, especially we had to win the last one in Bari, we, we did that and we that kind of, I don't know, it felt like it built the relationship a little bit stronger. We could trust each other that, okay, we did this together, Let's start the year together. Probably there were still, both of us were thinking that when we get into a bigger events during the year, maybe we have to split to get in. But on the other hand, there was the ATP doubles top 13 rule, which means that if you play together, you might get into, you might get accepted to the ATP 1000 tournaments if you're one of the best 13 teams in the world. And that was, that was one of the goals and probably also kept us together a little bit. And yeah, that, that was that was a key thing. First of all, to be able to get into in together into the tournaments beginning of the year, then just slowly getting better results, and then then there's no point splitting up when you're when you're in the race. Also, because that's the thing, Lloyd, isn't it? It's like in in doubles, if you if you're not getting in the events, then you are splitting up, and then it, then you're in that ranking of 60, 70 where you're starting to play with different partners each week. The Bryans famously talked about the first six months of the year was always the time that they cashed in. You know, it was like the first six months of the year, these other partners were splitting up and they they found that they just had the rhythm from the start of the year. They would clean up, win all of the tournaments. It would get to the second half of the year and the other teams would catch them up and then they would all split up again. And then they would clean up at the start of that six months. So is is that something that the more you play with someone, the more that you understand? Or is there, I guess there's also the danger, the more you play with someone, the more that you niggle. But, you know, how much is it about the relationship, the understanding of each other's games and, and how you combine the strengths of, of the two of you? Because you both have different strengths. You know, you seem to complement each other very well. Yeah, as you said, I think it can 
go one way or the other. And with us, our personalities obviously just get on and gel and we can spend a lot of time together. So for us, it's actually been a positive spending so much time together and our relationship continuing. But yeah, I think it was just, for us, it's gone strength to strength by just really knowing each other's games so well and knowing when maybe I need to give a bit more or he needs to give a bit more to like cover my weakness at a certain moment or just something like that, really understanding each other. And then in the tight pressure moments, if you know what your uh, partner's going to do as well as what yourself is going to do, that gives you such an advantage over a team that doesn't really know what the other person's going to do. They only know what themselves are going to do in those pressure moments. Because I, uh, you, you say about it's, you guys getting on and, you know, it's, 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 it's great to see, but I do think you are a bit chalk and cheese, you know, anyone that's, anyone that's watched you and, you know, I was speaking to someone um, after Turin and they said, I just love it. I just love the way Harry celebrates. And as Harry's celebrating, Lloyd in the background's walking off to the to the changing rooms, you know, and that was that was great for me to see as well. I I I saw I took a couple of videos, you know, you guys warming up before the match, and Lloyd's on the bike just kind of chilling, and and Harry's getting a full sweat on, you know, re- ready to go. And that that chalk and cheese way is that what it's like, Harry, off the court as well, or is that just you know it, it's an infectious energy that you bring on the court. You know, would it be would it be difficult to have two Harrys and two Lloyds to play together? I think it's 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 a great combination. We we need that because yeah, from from my point of view, I'm, I'm I just love competition. Like any time we're playing for for no matter what the price is, but when we're playing for something, I just I just thrive in that situation. I want to I want to win. And that like that brings the energy out of me, but probably many people wouldn't believe it when they see me outside the tennis court. I'm mostly a pretty calm person, but then on the court, I just change into this guy full of energy. And I think Lloyd is is a similar type of guy outside the court. He's quite calm and thinks thinks a lot, and and he just keeps keeps himself cool on the court as well. He. He, he knows what he's doing there. He doesn't have to show anyone anything. He just does his own thing and lets me do the celebrations. But I I remember a long time ago with with Lloyd giving him a couple of a couple of tellings off on the doubles court for not bringing enough energy, you know. So so I've always thought as I've as I've followed you guys that you are the the perfect perfect four for him because you know you being able to be the one that is is bringing that energy allows him to then you know play play that cool role that 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 he's that he's able to do and, and playing his best tennis but harry to get to know you a little bit better for for the listeners and i would love to know this as well because i believe you didn't play tennis for a few years so tell us a little bit about your story and why why there was such a long time without without you playing tennis and then because of that do you feel you've come back with even extra enthusiasm on, on the back of that? Yeah, that, that's that's very true. I actually, after high school in Finland, I played uh, for three and a half, four years professionally, mostly singles back then, but of course also doubles. And I'm, I'm I still made some good results. I made top two hundred in singles back then, and I felt okay. But my my body was hurting a lot. I, I got quite tired. I had some financial issues, so I. 
I had uh, I decided to do other things in life. I had a good plan B, go go back to the university and studied uh, industrial engineering and management, a master's degree there, worked a little bit as a consultant and did an internship at a private equity firm as well. So I had time to do a lot of other things as tennis. That was almost five years that I, I didn't play professionally. But I don't know, sometimes after three, four years of not playing, our Davis Cup team in Finland actually needed someone to play. We didn't have anyone. And then I kind of enjoyed it again. I was playing for the right reasons, playing for myself. And and then the Tokyo Olympics started to come closer. And we had Henry Kontinen, a uh, Finnish doubles guy, who was number one in the world back then in 2017. And, and I mean, it was obvious that he needed a partner to play in Tokyo. And if... Uh, he was if he was top ten, he could choose anyone he wants to play with, and I thought that maybe maybe I should be the one he could play with. And if I if I didn't try to make it into the Olympics, I would maybe regret it in the future when I was older. So little by little, that the thought it grew grew a little bit that I want to play play again and starting back in the futures futures qualities. It was it was a long long trip. It wasn't easy at any point. The first couple of years singles and doubles and 2019 focusing in doubles on the challengers the covid break i mean it wasn't easy but now all of a sudden when things started working so well with lloyd the last two years why wouldn't i enjoy it to the full why wouldn't i do everything i can to to play better so i hope the excitement that i have actually shows on the court and i i actually i enjoy it even more than i did when i was younger it's it, it the word the word perspective jumps to mind and i think obviously i've been a lot closer to lloyd's journey than yours harry but i, I think if we take lloyd's journey but also a lot of the doubles guys a lot of the doubles guys were us college graduates you know they maybe had that period of time where they weren't sure if they were going to play a professional you know and they maybe focused their mind they got their studies you know, they saw a bit of the bigger picture of the world, got outside of the the tennis bubble that we all know from junior years that is is so crazy and sends so so many people crazy. And to to bring you in, Lloyd, do you do you see that? Because it it certainly seems to me like a lot of the doubles guys have this perspective, they have this outlook that it's it's not that it's not the be all and end all, because of course everybody wants to win and do well. But they they have that little bit more of a, a mature perspective because of the the journey that it's taken them to get there. Yeah, I think you definitely find different characters on the doubles tour to the singles tour, and I think it's rare you find singles guys retiring from singles and then purely going into doubles. I think the ones you do see doing that really have like a unrivaled love for the game, uh, like Mahu Granolas. Um, but there's actually not too many guys. There's guys that will retire just outside 100, never break in, not go into doubles. Yeah, I think it. Once you go into doubles, you need to know what you're signing up for. You need to have like a bigger picture. You've probably considered a lot of other options. And then you've realised what you actually enjoy, that you do actually love tennis. And this is another really good way of making a career and staying in the sport that you love. But potentially not being in singles. Has there been times when you've doubted that love of tennis? Um, yeah, a few times along the way. 
for sure. Even still up until this day. And and does that does that help you or hinder you? Um, I think both. I think it can help me in a sense that I potentially don't get as nervous as some people out there. Um, I wouldn't say they're not as passionate because, you know, if you look at mine and Harry's practices behind closed doors, we're both very competitive. We do not want to lose to each other, even in practice drills. But, um, yeah, and then the travelling, maybe it hinders me there. You know, sometimes if I can take a week off and don't want to have to travel to, I don't know where, somewhere across the other side of the world, sometimes I'll choose the option of just not doing it where there's someone else that, you know, truly loves it, will put in that extra week and maybe get a life-changing result there. So because of that, now you're you're closing in top 10 in the world, number five doubles team in the world. How How long do you think you can do it for? Um, me and Harry talk about this quite a lot. Um, I don't know. Look, I wanna. I've started to make a great life for myself. I've started to really enjoy it, being at the big tournaments, staying in a bit nicer hotels. Life's a little bit better. I'd definitely like to go for another, maybe four or five years. As Harry spoke about earlier, the Olympics. I definitely wanna play and try and make it to the Olympics, Davis Cup. There's still a few things that I want to tick off. Once I've ticked off those, if I do, then it will be interesting to see how long I'm around for. What do you reckon, Harry? Do you reckon it's in his blood? He's, he's going to say that, and he it just because four or five years is four or five years is a long time, isn't it? As well, you yep. know. And, and and I think there's actually a there's a story. I, I I don't know if you guys have come across Benjamin Becker. So Benjamin Becker, the German player, and he. I, I, I can't say 100% that this story's true because I wasn't there, but, you know, it comes from reliable sources. And he was playing for Baylor University. And after the first year, he actually said to the coach, he said, look, coach, I hate this. He said, but just tell me what I need to do to get my 100% scholarship. You know, you tell me, I'll do it. I'll just view it as very much a, a job. You know, I'll get it done. You know, and I guess if you've got the discipline to do it and he did it, he was number one NCAAs, you know, had a, had a fantastic NCAAs um, um, record. And then he was like, started playing a few tournaments. He was like, oh, I'm making a hundred grand, 150 grand a year. I'm not sure I'll get a job that I can make 150 grand a year. And he, and he kind of built like that. And, you know, I sometimes think we expect as coaches that our players are just going to love every minute of every day. And if they don't, then it's not for them. So I think it's refreshing when people share your stories, you know, Harry, you took a few years away from the game, you know, Lloyd, you openly admit that it's not that you've got this burning passion every single day. And there's, there's, there's other parts of life. And, and I think for, because there is a lot of coaches out there listening to this, there is a lot of parents, there is a lot of players and I think sometimes that type of advice is better than just the glam, the glamorous life that we we always hear when we when we see stars on the TV. So Harry, you're you're a family man as well. So the, you know, tell tell us how how tough is the is the travel? You know, being away from the family, um, 
you know, how how do you how do you cope with because doubles guys, how many how many tournaments did you guys play last year? I think we played 30. third 31, yeah. Because the doubles guys are probably playing 10 more than the singles guys on, on average. So, so, you know, so how, and you're doing your tra- some travel weeks to London. So 35, 36 weeks away from home. How how did you cope and how, how do your family cope with that? Yeah, I have to admit it. It's not easy. It's a, it's a difficult situation because personally, I always love traveling. Like when I, when I, when I played, I used to love going to new places. I love uh, flying to flying airplanes. It's like a hobby to me. And it's just, just one of the, one of the things that tennis profession actually gives, gives you like, it, it's something you can enjoy. You get to travel a lot. And all of a sudden when our, our baby was born one and a half years ago, it was, it, it got a little bit trickier. I have to have to admit and. I think it's it's never gonna get any easier now that the baby recognizes me and like starts to say my name and okay where where is daddy going and of course it's very difficult for my wife too spending a lot of time alone at home and I'm, I'm just traveling and especially when you play when I go to a tournament I I can never never tell her when I'm coming back it could be two days if we do well, we might play three weeks in a row. And that's the uncertainty. That's, that's one of the most difficult things. But I mean, so far we've survived. We were, I was able to buy us a very nice new house this year. So things are also good. We have a very good situation. We got my parents helping here a little bit, but it's, it's a combination of working hard on the tennis court and my wife working hard at home. So far, it's worked at least to at least well enough. And the compensation, you because you say that, and you know, I speak to people, and I mean, I, I've coached many players who who I guess have the same level of sacrifice, <laughs> are doing the same weeks away, but they're not getting the compensation because the results haven't been good enough. You know, and that at least you guys are sitting here going, "Wow!" You know, I think it's. You know, however many hundreds of thousands that you've now earned this year, that makes a difference. But Lloyd, at what at what point, at what ranking in doubles do you start to see that compensation, that finance coming in to get you to a level where you can relax a little bit? It starts to be like, okay, well, this is worth it now. You know, is that is that 30 in the world, 40 in the world, 50 higher? You know, what's the reality of that? I think in reality, you need to be in averagely getting in the Masters. So top 30, I'd say. And if you're in top 30, then you're probably going deep in some 500s. You're making quarters, last 16 of slams. So it's quite a regularly good income. Yeah, I'd say about the 30 mark. Anything lower? then you need to be winning a lot. And if you're winning a lot, your ranking will probably go up. So inside 30. Okay. Because speaking to so Ken Skupski, who I know you both know, but Ken, Ken got to, I don't know if you know this, but his highest ever ranking was 44. And he got there three times. So on three different occasions, he got to 44. And he, he talked to us on the podcast about this, that it, that, period from like 50 to 30 you've got to win so much and the way that the points are set up so if i if i go through this year for you guys that was in and around 
you went from June. I know, I know, Harry, you were a little bit higher than Lloyd, but at the start of June, Harry, you were about 40 in the world, Lloyd 52. And then by, by the start of August, you were 33, 26. So it feels as if you kind of got through that period really quite easily. Was that down to, down to winning so much, Harry? Yeah, I'm, I'm still surprised. I still don't understand how we made it. Like Honestly, I I feel like we played against some teams for I mean, New Zielinski, who beat us several times this year, and I, I, I checked their rankings. I'm, uh, every time I'm in it, I'm like, surprised, why are they so far behind us? Like, how did we make it? And they didn't. But I think we just we just had so many of good results during that summer, and we had actually very few first round losses throughout the years. Every time we played a tournament, we managed to get some points. And when we were able to get in, into those bigger events, every time that one, two, three wins gives you a good amount of points. Like those are points that the top 10, top 15 guys usually get from their like worst tournaments. And we were able to do the same. And obviously then we had Queens Club finals there, Hamburg win another 502 quarterfinals in Grand Slam. So, it, but uh, yeah. But still, I find it surprising that we we, were, we managed to get through that like the thirty ranking so so quickly. Because I mean, we we were thinking beginning of the year, maybe throughout the year, that hopefully two thousand twenty three we can play the ATP one thousands, we can be in the top thirty. But here we are, eleven and twelve. And what was the highlight for you, two thousand twenty two, Lloyd? Um, for me, Queens was. Although we didn't win it, it was probably one of the most fun I've ever had at a tournament. Uh, all my like friends, family, coaching staff, we had such a good group and squad there cheering us on every match. We got to play on the big show court twice. It's a tournament I've never played before. Actually, Harry got <laughs> played it last year. We got a wild card. I had to drop out. Um, so yeah, for me, that was the big highlight. And that also propelled us, I think, to have a really good summer, which it did. And then we kind of shot up the rankings from there. And then Turin, I mean, you can't really have a bigger moment than that throughout the year. Yeah, I'm surprised you say Queens because I don't think that gets into the top five of my best, <laughs> best experience of the year. But obviously, you're from the UK playing at home. It's a special moment. And I would say, of course, I, had, I played two Davis Cups at home, though, so very special Two, two very good wins there but but I would say the Grand Slams were also pretty nice like US Open quarter, uh, the third round against Kyrgios Kokkinakis that was one of the best atmospheres I've had, had on a tennis court and Turin I agree that, that, was, that was pretty cool What's it like to beat, beat Nick Kyrgios Lloyd? <laughs> um, I mean it's great yeah I mean probably one of the best players in the world one of the best tennis players in the world not just doubles players, one of the best tennis players. He beats the, I think he's one of the only people to have a winning record against Djokovic and the rest of them. So to be able to beat someone as good as that, even if it's on the doubles court, is uh, yeah, just really good, you know. And what about that return? That return, which the backhand, backhand return, Kyrgios serving. That's going to live long in the memory. That was match point. No, no, it was eight, eight seven, seven in eight, serving. Seven serving. I think if he had that point again, he probably would hit a spot and probably hit another race like he had done all match. So 
probably wasn't best to surf back and body, but it was a great feeling when that ball came off my strings and went for a winner. I did not expect returning Kyrgios's first serve for a winner on a doubles court. I think this is an interesting one because those listening won't know this. Now, if we talk about tennis players and you go around the world to any tennis tournament, you have players, parents, coaches obsessing over the draws. They're on there. They're checking UTRs. They're, who am I playing in the first round? And in the quarterfinals, I'm playing the number one seed. And, you know, it's all kind of built up. And one of my favorite sayings is tennis is played on the court. It's not played on paper. But we actually have someone here in in Lloyd who doesn't look at the draws, doesn't know the ranking statuses. Now, I'm going to go to you first, Harry, before I bring Lloyd in on that. Do you look at the draws and do you know where you stand ranking-wise? And if so, how do you avoid telling Lloyd? I know probably too well. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of it. Uh, like, for example, the race to Turin, like, uh, it, I don't know. I, I, I've learned to not tell Lloyd. I think it's just hilarious. Like, he, he checks the order of play the night before to see who we play. And uh, obviously, I've seen the draw. I've known everything. And even after the match, we in Paris, we win the quarterfinal. We make it to Turin. And I tell him that we made it to Turin. He's like, oh, really? I didn't know. I didn't have any clue. And same in Turin, actually, the group stage, we get, like we guaranteed a place in the semifinals. The commentators after the match tells him that, and they, oh, really? So he, he honestly doesn't know. And that, I think that's, that's just inspiring to everyone. How can you actually not know? But he does it somehow. And I, I've learned to appreciate it. Come on, Lloyd. When, when did this start? When did this start? And, and, and how, do you, how do you maintain that? Um, I don't really know when it started. Was it not? Was I not doing it when I was with you? I don't think so. I, I maybe I, I, I don't remember you ever obsessing over it. That's for sure. No. You know, I don't I, think you ever obsessed, but I would say you had a bit of an idea. You know, like, but yeah, maybe not. I, I certainly don't ever th- see it as something that it was a big deal to you. You were quite good at taking no, as much as it came. I don't know when it was or why it happened, but I just don't see any value at all in looking ahead at nothing that's concrete. You know, you might lose your first round, so what's the point in seeing who you might play or what your ranking might go to if you win or what the prize money is if you win this match because it's all ifs, there's no certainty. So, And it's just added pressure, say... You know, you've got to play this person first round. You see, then there's two wild cards or two qualifiers or whatever you consider an easier draw. Then that's just added pressure because you think, right, got to get through this one because then I've got an easy draw and it just takes your eye off the ball. So anything for me that looks into the future and anything that's uncertain and not just that opponent right ahead of you, I just have no interest in looking at it and don't see any value of looking at it. You sound like a sports psychologist, Lloyd. Well, I. And, and and last time, last last time you were on the podcast, you told us all that you don't believe in sports psychologists. Has that changed? Oh, no, that's sad. I think I'm proof that maybe you don't need one if that's the same as what they would say. It's 
but it is. I think it, it is. And Harry said it's inspiring. It is. I think to have to genuinely have that mindset, I think, is is brilliant. And I think if if more people could have that mindset, then you know, they can they can just go out and play and put their put their focus on the things that are important, the process of what you're putting on court. You know, exactly like this podcast is called Control the Controllables. You know, it's not it draws out of your control, isn't it? You know, uh, who who you're gonna play is out of your control. Yeah, and I yeah. also think it also came, comes to how Lloyd plays the game. Like he, he has a massive serve. It doesn't matter who is returning. He doesn't need to know who is returning. And with the return, he just he picks a side. He goes for it. it it's the it's his way of playing tennis that he wants to keep everything in his own control. So he, it, it's not that interesting to him who, who we play against. He just plays his game. Doesn't matter who we play or where we play or what's what's the price. He just does his own thing. That brings me into another another one and data. You know the the higher the higher level you get to, the more data that's accessible. You know when 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 I was coaching Lloyd in in the futures, I'd sit there with my pen and paper, and it was a lot of work for me to tell him that he'd served thirty six aces and he'd served at seventy eight percent. You know, like whereas nowadays. And, you know, Lloyd was sharing that with me in Turin. Within 10 minutes of the match finishing, you've got all the data that you could ever have. Now, where I think this links in, it's a, it's a similar mindset in some ways. Because if you are a, an overanalyzer, if you are a stressor, a worrier, and people that tend to look into the future tend to stress and worry, you know, once you you get that amount of data, you can overanalyze, you can have analysis by paralysis by analysis, you know, or at the same time, there's, there's great use of data, you know, using data in the right way, especially the doubles, the doubles guys, it's such a strategic game in, in, in so many ways. So I want to get both your opinions on this. You, Harry would seem to be like someone who likes data. That is correct. Yeah, I'm, I really like numbers. That's what I studied my whole life. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, study a lot of ma mathematics during my my university studies, and I just love numbers. I, I want to know the probabilities, uh, like what the opponents are probably doing, what, what's working best for us. And I would say that it's it's more often me who goes through the stats especially before the match and then like maybe comes up with some ideas for the game plan whereas Lloyd has usually like more straightforward things for for the upcoming upcoming matches but but yeah like you say I just I just love the numbers I I also agree a little bit that I might over analyze them sometimes when I'm too worried and I watch a lot of maybe too many matches of the opponents beforehand. Then they do one thing which I didn't expect, and then I then I start worrying. Oh, this was not supposed to happen. So how did they do that? So okay. it might might start to worry me a little bit. But then again, it's also been very very helpful this year because we have the amount of data that uh, that the LTA actually brings. So I, I think it's it's helped me and our team tremendously. And uh, I wouldn't. I don't think we would be here if if we didn't have all that support. Yeah. What about you, Lloyd? No, I think it's good. I think it's great to have if you can have it, but I don't think it's the be all and end all. Um, I think it gives you a good insight and overview of what a team may do or what a team may favour. But look, if you went off stats, you'd say 
serve Joe Salisbury stretch backhand all the time. Well, me and Harry serves, I think about 75% of our first serves were aces and returnables or we won the point, I think it was 95% of the time. Um, so I think you can use them and they can help eliminate options. But I don't think it has to affect you. And especially with, as Harry touched on earlier, the way I want to play my game. I don't really mind if someone's got a better backhand or forehand return. I'm going to start a spot. And yeah, I think it just creates a good overview of a player and can have you in pressure on be on end on as long as you view it like that. And don't get annoyed if, you know, their best serve on paper is a T-serve and then a big point is serve you wide. As long as you can come to terms with that, if you want to buy into the stats, then by all means, use them. And 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 one thing that also hit me in Turin is like, as you sit in that box, you, in some ways, are influential one way or the other, in some ways, because, you know, the support team, you know, if you go and watch a junior tournament, can you impact a match? Maybe a little bit, but when you sat there and you maybe have that, that five second, you have that five second period to maybe get a message across and... And and I I saw and I won't mention names, but I saw in one of the one of the matches, I saw one of the coaches really trying to get a message across to their player, and the message was, give them that serve or or or, or that that's where they're going to serve. All second serves are going to go in one area, and I watched thinking, oh, the delivery of that message, you've got to be so careful as a coach. And the next four second serves, they didn't serve the body serve once. And I could see the player like gone furious. And I don't know if you remember, Lloyd, but in Greece, it was actually you, I think, that got the scouting report. <laughs> Do you remember this? On the, uh, it was an American guy. So Harry, so Josh Ward Hibbert, who, who I used to coach and me, Lloyd and Josh used to travel. Good friend of mine and Lloyd's. And he was playing against a guy who had a bit of an extreme grip on his backhand. So the scouting report was he, he struggles to roll a backhand a backhand passing shot, and Josh was a was a net rusher. He came to the net a lot, and I was charting the match, and he was a set and four two up, and he'd come to the net on his backhand twenty six times, and he'd won twenty five points. I mean, you don't often get a scouting report that works that well. Break point down at four two six three four two. He hits a crap backhand slice, comes in. The guy with this dodgy grip just rolls a backhand pass cross court because the approach was so bad. And Josh looks at me and Lloyd and he starts going, yeah, really good, really good information. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great information. Now, this bit of information had worked 25 times, you know, and the one time that it didn't work, that's what players tend to do. You know, when you, you guys have played this sport for a long time, the emotion builds in you at certain times and we like to blame. So do you guys like to receive specific information like that as the match is going on? Or is or is there the danger? I guess the point I'm getting to, data is data, but the interpretation of the data and the delivery of that data for me is is really quite key in where the skill in the coach is. What? How do you find that, Harry? Yeah, it's 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 not easy. I'd say 
you have to trust the coach a lot. You have to, uh, there has to be someone that actually knows what he's doing. For example, Louis Kier has helped us these last two years. And when he tells us something from the box, I, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to hear what he has to say. He, he often uses very short phrases like, yeah, cover the T, just yep. give him the wide or something like that when you're returning. And uh, I think that, that that helps. Also makes life easier for you as a player. You you can you, you don't have to worry about you, you. You just do what you're told, focus on that. If it doesn't work, okay, we, we do something else. But you don't have to argue with yourself. At least you have someone to blame if it, went, <laughs> if it wasn't right. But I, I'm still at the same time, I feel like I, sometimes I'm very, I'm too harsh towards my coach in the box. I, I try to get an, get some advice from him, which is impossible for him to give. And especially now this year, when we have the new coaching rule, the coaching is allowed actually. So they are, they can tell you something. So sometimes you, you maybe wish they would tell you even more when I'm serving. Okay, if my toes okay, I'm not using my legs. What's wrong? That's probably the the most difficult question you can ask your coach. Like, why why am I hitting in the net? And the coach should just tell you to hit, hit a little bit higher. <laughs> but, but it's it's not easy. But uh, but yeah, uh, to sum it up, I I like very like small, very short phrases from the coaches, and if I trust the person, then that usually usually works. And flip it around, Lloyd, you're the coach in the box. And there's some players, there's some very high-profile players. Again, we won't go into names, but there is there is a lot of high-profile players that tend to shout at their box. There seems to be, you know, it seems to be getting more and more common, you know, that it's happening. If you're a coach and that happens from the player, what are you going to do? Um, me personally, I just wouldn't take it I'd leave um, I think it's always just how I've been as a character I know the hierarchy is weird in the tennis hiring system and technically the player is hiring the coach but I've always been a believer of the coach should be higher than the player in the hierarchy system and uh, should be the one calling the shot so you almost have to be respectful to them and understand it like they're leading this thing not you um, so for me it's never been a, an issue um, shouting at them or disrespect them or whatever you know they're like they're my boss so if it happened to me I just would leave probably you've been brought up well well done Sean and Neil uh, they've, they've, they've brought you up well with with, with those I think values. that was another figuring it out for myself that one just like sports psychologist stuff <laughs> we know we know what you're going to do after after tennis Lloyd anyway guys I, I'm conscious of the time I, I do have a, a quick fire round but my 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 last thing, Harry, is on the sports psychology theme, really, you know, which, you know, psychology is certainly an, an area of passion of mine. I don't proclaim to be a sports psychologist, but I, I, I do think in listening to you guys, the mindset is you're very, very skillful, talented tennis players, but as are hundreds of others, you know, and it'll it's it's often the mindset and, and your abilities to gel that together that gets you there. You now have a bit of expectation you know you've you've got a bit of a target you know on on your backs you know that that year of rising all the time and seeing your ranking go from 70 to 60 to 55 to 50 to you know that that chase you know that chase after the ranking from a psychological standpoint is is quite a nice place to be 
you know. So going into 2023, that is a potential danger, you know, as you go into 2023. How are you you going to handle that? It's interesting. Actually, we haven't had any discussion about 2023 with Lloyd yet. Of of course, we've agreed to play together, but that's about it. So it's going to be different though. Like we're going to start here in Australia. We're going there, not as the, one of the last teams to be accepted, but actually one of, if not the favorite to win, maybe we are still there. Top five favorites to win. We're going to be seated in all the events, at least the first part of the year. And this year has been so easy, which is go from win to win. Don't have to overthink anything. Everything happens easily like by itself next year. We are going to lose some matches. That's going to be normal. It's how everybody, it, it happens to everybody. Just have to accept that. But the good thing is that we're still 11 and 12. We can still continue the the, the way up. So we still have 10 more players ahead of us. So we're, we haven't haven't made it to number one yet. So we can we can still go on and just enjoy the, the rise. And, and, and Lloyd, the, the one thing that hit me and not amazed me, but I, I had a lot of admiration for both of you in Turin, was how normal you guys made it, you know, and coming from the, the journey that you've both had to be at the the big show, you know, the ATP World Tour Finals, it's the big show. You, you, you feel it, you know, the players' lounge is basically... It's basically superstars, you know, in the player lounge and, you know, only the, the top eight make it in the singles and doubles. And it was just like, okay, yeah, just another another match. You know, we you kind of take it in your stride. It feels like you've done that all year, you know, and, and I see no reason why, why you don't do that in 2023 as well, Lloyd. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's going to be the first year where people now come to beat us rather than not lose to us. I think when you're a rising team, teams are a little nervy and they try and not lose to you rather than beat you and everyone's going to be coming out with a target on our back. Um, I think, you know, I handle defending points pretty well as you know, when I rose to my career high in one year and then dropped straight back out and never touched it again. So <laughs> it shouldn't be an issue for 2023. I'm looking forward to it. That's when you uh, needed a sports psychologist. <laughs> no, um, I, th- I think this time we're just, because we're very close to the top and as Harry said, there's more, you know, there's a few more spaces we need to get to. We just take confidence in it. Um, at least I am and I'm hoping Harry's taking massive confidence in it and these big moments and big events just become normal. Then, you know, it doesn't phase us too much. I mean, I, I don't like to point it out, Lloyd, but that is also when you you moved on from me as a coach at your career high. So, you know, this could also this could also be the missing link. <laughs> some say coincidence, some say it's a pattern. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, boys, if you look, I'll 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 say this: if you can win a Grand Slam, you will definitely move into being my favourite Harry and Lloyd partnership. 
you know, you will take over. Hey, Harry, old buddy, old pal, you know, if, if you can, if you can do it, it's, it's been a pleasure. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. There's not many matches this year. I've missed watching you guys um, to be able to see you in person as well. You're, you're a delightful partnership to watch and you, you know, you've got so much more, like you say, Harry to give, you know, there's a, there's still 10, 10 guys in front of you. You know, there's still plenty of people that you could that you can chase down. Keep keep enjoying every part of this journey. You know, you've both gone through the, the a proper tennis journey. I'm not talking to Carlos Alcaraz here, who's just tripped upon you know being world number one, age 16 or whatever he is. You know, you guys have 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 really put the work in over the years. So a big well done to both of you. A big good luck. But before I let you go, we have our quick fire round. That it's a little bit different, Harry. We normally have a few questions, but you know the first question in the big in the quick fire round. Have you ever played Lloyd in doubles? Yes, I have. I've beaten him and I've lost to him. So where did you beat him? That was the final of Biella Challenger 2020. And also later that year, I lost to him also in Italy, in Ortice, first round. In the final? Did you play in a final? Yeah, of a Challenger. Did you beat him twice then? Did I? Oh, I, I'm not usually good. At, I, I don't forget. That. Lisbon, I... Lisbon, Portugal. Jesus Christ, I've beaten him twice. I have a winning record against my partner and I didn't remember. <laughs> who but who won the last one, Lloyd? I think me, if that was all today. I think all today was the last one. That was in November of 20. I believe that Lloyd got the last one. But I'm gonna bring it back to you, Harry. Who had the highest singles ranking? Oh, that's easy. That was me. <laughs> So we, we we can't we can't let Lloyd Lloyd have them all. What what do you think Harry's best shot is, Lloyd? Um, what's his best shot? His back and return. And what about Lloyd's, Harry? Serve is probably one of the best in the world. And I, I believe that. I remember actually, Lloyd, you played it and you'll remember this, a final of a futures. And there was a few guys, it was Aussies, and and I got asked the question, this this final, Harry, you wouldn't believe it, singles final. I think it was 38 aces he served, and 7-6 and the 31. And I remember somebody saying to me, where do you think his serve is, like, relative? And, and this was at Futures level, and I said at that time, I honestly think he serves top 10 in the world. You know, and that was, that was playing Futures. And what I saw in terrain, I have no reason to believe that it's that it's any less of that as well. Um, what is your win loss record this year, Harry? Actually, Lloyd first. It's more likely for Harry to get it right than Lloyd. I think it's 48-25. I think you were pretty close. We had 27 losses, and that's not counting the challenger. And we had maybe 45 wins, not counting the challenger. 48 and 28. Ah, but that's counting the challenger. I don't do all of my own research, <laughs> boys. You know, they, <laughs> they control the controller. It's a big deal, this control the controllables thing, you know. We have researchers, we have we have we have all sorts. <laughs> what's what's one thing that you would change about Lloyd? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he could spend less time with his smartphone. Lloyd, one thing you'd change about Harry? Um, 
he could sleep a little more. He's always up so early. <laughs> but do, do, you're at the stage now you don't even have to share rooms in the in the big time, do you? No, I think no, we, no. we've shared a room one night during our two-year two year playing career. Once, and that was just during an airport layover in Madrid. Wow, okay. That's and that that also hit me as well in Turin is like a lot of the doubles guys just aren't spending that much time together. You know, like I, I I'm not sure I saw Mektic and Pavic even practice together. And yeah. like it was like like unbelievable. Like is that a bit of so is that is that normal, Harry, that, that actually people are kind of living in, in lots of ways their own their own lives and then coming together, you know, is is that because it's the end of the year that as the year goes on, it's, uh, you, you kind of know what you're doing. You understand each other that you're then meeting up for short practices and then playing matches. I, th- I think it depends. We are, there are uh, surely some teams who spend a lot of time together, who like to go for lunch and dinner and do everything together to kind of like be, be a good partnership. But for us, it's always worked well that we, we just we do our thing on the court. We do it, do it very well, and then we do our own things in the evenings. We are, we have a very very good business relationship, and it works well for us. It is, there's nothing wrong with it. Like if, if we are two 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 guys having our own dinners by ourselves in the in the rooms next to each other, and we're still happy. And I think that that says it all. And what would what would Harry be if he wasn't a tennis player, Lloyd? Well, I'd say something in finance, but he's tried that and left it. Um, and I would say pilot, but he didn't pass his medical. Just wanted to put that out there. So, what would he be? Dare we, dare, we, dare we ask why? Yeah, my back problems, which was one of the reasons I stopped my career earlier. And then I tried to become a pilot, but uh, at least our Finnish airline Finnair wouldn't let me become a pilot because of my back. So you can be a professional tennis player, one of the best tennis players in the world with your back, but you can't sit in a plane and, and fly it. That's correct. I, <laughs> I didn't have to go to the army here in Finland. I couldn't become a pilot, but I can still play. But it's also because I've found the right medicine now. So that's that's very big part of it. And, and Harry, what about Lloyd? I mean, I know he thinks he would be a model, but what is it, what, what do you think he would be? <laughs> of course. Uh, I mean, he also loves finance. He would, he would probably work at, at his friend's private equity firm and do a lot of money. And would, would Harry make a good coach, Lloyd? Yeah, definitely. He's got a lot of love for the game. What about Lloyd? No, he's already tired of the traveling. <laughs> I don't think he would be able to do it. <laughs> With, it'd have to be the right person, maybe, maybe remotely. Yeah, or or a very very big salary. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the and the last last couple of questions. What would one rule change be in doubles, Lloyd, for you? Um, it would be Wimbledon going to best of three sets. Best of five, too much. Yeah, too long. For you or for the fans? I think for the fans. I don't think. Um, well, firstly takes away singles guys playing then it sometimes stops for playing mixed as well and grass is such like a quick game I don't think we need to see five sets of a lot of just serve and returning I think put some tie breaks in there make some pressure situations 
Harry? I would like to say two, if that's okay. First of all, I would like in, t- in tennis in general, we need to get rid of the let serve when the ball touches the net. It's it's useless. It doesn't bring anything to the game. And I think many juniors and college games, they've already gotten rid of it. And secondly, I, I've heard they tried it in the USA that uh, no one can start the point inside the service line in doubles. I think that would be interesting. That would make the points longer because nowadays many, many service partners are very, very close to the net and they just clean the net every time the return is not good enough. If, if they have to start before, uh, behind the service line, the volley is not as easy and we get longer points. That would be cool to watch, actually. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did some uh, some uh, try. They tried that, and the amount of like the the, how long the points were. It it was more than uh, more than two shots longer currently, it's on average. So it it actually would make it more interesting for the fans too. Very good. And who's who's going to win the World Cup, Harry? World Cup football. Oh, what is football? We just have ice hockey here in Finland. (laughs) Uh, you, uh, are you following it at all? I watched. Yes, of course I watched. Uh, I am going to say France. Lloyd, I've boycotted this year, Kena. No, not following. Why? Equality, female gender equality, workers' rights. You know, there's a lot of lot of stuff going on in that area of the country. So, boycott. England Wales Tuesday night. Where's Ooh, your... I'm torn. Are you with mom or are you, are you with dad? It depends if my mom's listening. I'll go for Wales. <laughs> if not, it's England. <laughs> and Harry, your goal for 2023, do you set goals? Is that something that you guys do as a pair? Um, I, I know that Lloyd used to, you know, and used to I, I'll share a little story on Lloyd. Remember, he won a, he won a Futures. I wasn't with him that week. And because he won the Futures, he moved inside 400 ATP. And he called me up, or I called him after the match, and his first words were, what's the new goal? What's the new goal? You know, so that was very, it wasn't, there was no resting on laurels. It was like, right, what, what's next? Is, so is that something you guys do together or, or, or not necessarily? We haven't done it yet, at least. Uh, but I think for yeah, for this year it was the goal was to get into the ATP 1000. Next year we made that easily. But like our coach has told us several times, we still haven't won a Grand Slam. We haven't won an ATP 1000. Those are those are very good goals for next year. Lloyd, where are you on goal setting these days? Um, I mean, I don't like to put numbers or figures on them because. I mean, like you said, there you can pass them and then it's a bit like, okay, what do we do now? I need to set a new one. Um, I think we're both at the stage now where realistically our goal is just number one. I don't think, and you obviously can't get higher than that. So that is, that kind of solves that problem. But yeah, I think our goals are are pretty obvious this year or next year. Sorry, we want to win the biggest tournaments. We want to get to number one and you can't really get any higher than that. Boys, no reason why not. No reason why not. Keep doing what you're doing. My last, last, last question, Harry. I've asked Lloyd this before. Who, who should my next guest be on Control the Controllables? You, you have the baton to pass on to the next person. That's how it works. 
Wow. You should you should uh, probably interview one of our coaches. That would be interesting if they have any any similar ideas. If you want to continue on the doubles topic and on the topic of dumb and dumber. Louis Louis has been on. So Louis Louis has, has very much been on, but maybe we might need to get Boris on next. Correct. Boys, good luck. Thank you for coming on. Thank Cheers. you very much. Well, that was a, a special episode after a special year for for Harry and Lloyd and obviously a, a one that's very personal to us as well Vicky it's it's great to have you back it feels a while since we've had a chat on the podcast as well that's because you you saying that with a smile on your face because you're the one that's been off to all these amazing places <laughs> well I've been here and stuck at home <laughs> well you were at the Davis Cup in Malaga you spent three days there so that is true you, that, you were lucky much. there you were lucky there that was the following week after Turin to soften the blow <laughs> So no, it's been it has it's been a a fantastic couple of weeks of spending, and I was fortunate enough to to spend the week with Lloyd and Harry out in Turin, uh, and then we had the Davis Cup on our doorstep. You know, unfortunately, we hoped the British team were going to be there, but it was still brilliant to watch. Well, the Spaniards had a, had, a, had a great match with Croatia, uh, but for the for the players at the academy to get up and close and personal with all of those top players as well. Uh, it's a shame it wasn't better supported, I think. You know, we there was a lot of spare seats. It, it worked it to our benefit, being able to get closer to the action. Uh, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a couple of weeks of being spoilt and enjoying very top-level tennis. Yeah, the Davis Cup was amazing. I do think maybe the seats, there were Canada, Australia, USA, they did have far fewer supporters than the European teams, so that might be why the numbers were down. But I don't think, yeah, some of our players were complaining going from the back row to the front row to fill in the, fill in the gaps. So come on, how, how was Turin, though? Me and the kids were watching all week, very, very jealous. How, how was it? Well, apart from embarrassing myself on TV with my Movember I'm not sure it's a beard, whatever that kind of fluff is mm, on my face. You didn't just embarrass yourself, <laughs> the family but as well. <laughs> we've raised a lot of money and we'll maybe put the link on this on this episode as well because we've raised over £500 towards a great cause. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the fluff off the face. Uh, but no, Turin, was, it was special, Luke, and I think the fact that I was there with Lloyd, who starting to coach him age 10, 11, to, to go through that journey and, and watch someone go from being that 10, 11 year old who's starting out to then being on the on the biggest stage of them all and and handling it with such normality, you know, just taking it completely in his stride as, as well as Harry, you know, being so close to them behind the scenes, seeing how it works at those events. And I remember Toby Smith coming on uh, the show oh, a year and a half ago and he talked about when he first went to Wimbledon with Johnny O'Mara and Scott Clayton they had a bunny day I remember that and he said right, come on boys it's a bunny day take your pictures go on your centre court you know act like a tourist and get it out your system and the first 24 hours for me probably felt a bit like that you know when you're going in to a new environment it's like, whoa, you sat there and there's Novak Djokovic and there's Rafael Nadal and his team and there's Felix and and, and and it feels a little bit like, what what is going on? What about imposter syndrome? What am I doing here? Then you're on the practice court and obviously with Lloyd and Harry and it was great to be around the Skupski brothers who are good friends of mine as well. And then you just settle and you realise it's just a normal tennis tournament and 
everyone is human. Everybody has the same insecurities. Everyone has the same patterns. It just happens to be done in front of more people. It happens to be that the food's a bit nicer and you don't have to pay for it. And I don't think I've ever eaten so much sushi in all my life, you know, <laughs> and just just being able to, to order whatever you want, whenever you want, really. Um, but they put on a great show. It was a great event. Talking about spectators, the, the crowds were, were very high. You know, the, the some of the matches, Kyrgios had them whipped up in a frenzy, sounded like a football crowd at one point. But yeah, but just to see those guys go about their, their daily work and, and, and the normalised way that they're doing that on, on the biggest stage was, was inspiring, really. And uh, But doing the basics well. You know, we're not talking about complicated, complex things. It's just having good routines, doing the basics well, trying to get a little bit better every day. And yeah, it was a real pleasure to, to spend that time. So thank you, Harry and Lloyd, for, for having me and, and well done on a, on a fantastic year. Oh, it's been an amazing year. And I've been really looking forward to this episode. You know, we know Lloyd, as you said, since he was little, but we don't, I don't know Harry at all. So I was, I've been watching with uh, our eldest who doesn't play tennis, but absolutely loves watching. And we have just been cracking up all year at how different they are on the court. Um, you know, you mentioned um, in the chat, like Harry's so full of energy, gets so fired up and Lloyd is just cool as a cucumber, walks to the chair, like no, showing no emotion at all. Um, so I, w I was really interested to hear what they were like personality wise. And actually, I think they're not too dissimilar after all. No, they're not. In, in, in lots of ways, no. You know, and I think, you know, one thing that it strikes me through that conversation, but also spending time with them, off court last week they're both quiet you know they're both relaxed they both they're both very switched on you know very switched on intelligent guys um they're both at the stage of their life where i mean harry settled down with a kid but lloyd lloyd's got a lovely girlfriend sophia and has 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 a stable stable life as well but i think when you do start to listen to them they are quite different as well you know i mean we see the energy on the court and i think one thing that my learning from it and my take from it from the chat and from spending time together what makes a good team and two lloyds or four lloyds within a team doesn't necessarily make a good team to Harry's doesn't necessarily make a good team. And this is in any form of life. You know, you don't want to have two people that are exactly the same and, and think and work in exactly the same way because you end up not covering all bases. And if I think about Lloyd, when Lloyd has to play the role of energy and he gets into that emotional intensity, sometimes it doesn't work for him, actually. It goes the other way. So what works for him is that demeanour that we see on the court, which is which is very much, and we'll get to this in a minute, which is incredible, not looking at the draws, not not being involved yeah. in that, you know, because, but when he does, he, he, get, he can get overwhelmed and that takes over. So I think Harry helps bring that energy for him, which is, which is amazing. But I think then Lloyd helps Harry not overanalyze too much, you know, and... 
trying to get Harry to just have a bit of a smile on the day of the match is really important because Harry does get quite intense and you know he's like he talked about on the on the show he's he's thinking about the numbers he's looking at the data he's potentially over analyzing so so they 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 bounce off each other in, in a really nice way and I think it's a great example when you are creating a team in whatever you are doing you want to have a little bit of yin and a little bit of yang you know and you want to be able to to mesh them together and I think they do a great job um, but yeah I, I touched on it Vicky not looking at draws I mean we were both players when we were younger not looking at draws not knowing rankings I mean the fact that they didn't he didn't know he didn't know what they had to do to qualify for Turin was just mind-blowing to me and the same and I was there and, and I must admit I didn't know actually if they won the last match in the box I didn't know it definitely qualified them you know, you can kind of hide from it a little bit when you're in in those arenas, but still fascinating. And I think an amazing, amazing lesson. And he spoke with such wisdom. He didn't realise what wisdom he spoke with there when he said, "Well, what, what's the point? I don't, I can't control that. You know, that is that is not something that I can affect. So why waste the energy on it?" I think really, in this instance, fair play to Harry as well, because I think it would drive me a little bit mad because I would want to be talking about it. And curiosity would get the better of me. I'd want to know the different dynamics, the different situations. I, I don't think I could go into a tournament and not look at the draw. I think many people couldn't do that. So I found that absolutely amazing that he doesn't look, and, and especially the level that they're at now. You know, journalists do it. It's not just, you know, you hear it all the time, parents at tournaments. Oh, so they'll meet in the quarterfinals and we have to say to parents, well, hang on, there's two matches first. You know, let's concentrate one match at a time. There's no guarantee either of them will get to the quarterfinals. But um, journalists do it as well. You know, Lloyd and Harry are on course to meet the number one seeds of the quarterfinals before they've even, you know, played a match. So he has he must not be reading anything about um, anything that's being written about them either. Do you know what I think? Uh, uh, it, it is an interesting topic, and I've thought about this because I even think about my own experience last week. The majority of my tennis playing and tennis coaching has been at smaller level tournaments. And at smaller level tournaments, everyone's chucked in a bit more together. Very few people have teams around them. So you end up, almost through osmosis, just being a bit similar to everybody else you kind of get taken with the wave and the vibe of the tournament. It's hard to completely separate yourself. And one thing that really stood out to me last week was everybody, and we even talked about it there, like Mektik, Pavic, they do not practice together. They didn't last week. So they've all got their own coaches. They're, 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 living, they're living their own lives in, in lots of ways. So, so, so the separation, I think, is much easier because they tend to have teams around them. They they take care of their business. They do what they need to do, you know, ultra professional and everything. But then they're off and they're living their life. And whether it's girlfriends, mums, dads, coaches, hitting partners, whatever it is, and they've got little small bubbles around them. And I think that in some ways makes it a bit easier as well. Obviously, social media... I don't think Lloyd's a massive social media guy. You know, if you're like me, who's on Twitter all the time, you'll, you'll, you will pick up those bits. But I thought it was fascinating, and I just thought what a great lesson, a great learning for us, for parents, for coaches, for players, to, to realise you can't control those things. You know, you really can't. So, so focus on just getting a bit better and, and putting your performance on the court. 
and to be accepting of your doubles partner and, and how they work. Like I said, fair play to Harry for understanding him and just not questioning that at all. I mean, I guess he must be playing with a fr- with a real freedom. You know, you've not got those outside pressures, oh, if we win this, then we're through to that. You know, in those key moments, it's just playing in the moment, I guess. That's, that's the secret, I think. And I mean, Harry did say about the, the game style, and I think that is also true. You know, Lloyd's always, Lloyd's always had a game style that... The, the the ball is on his racket, the point is on his racket. You know, he's not necessarily having to react so much to, to the opponent, you know, the way that he likes to play. So I think that adds into it. Um but yeah, just just fascinating to get those get those insights and, and the one I'd like to also Vicky, while we've while we are on the topic of doubles and of British doubles, I mean it was so nice to see. You know, Neil Skupski, Wesley Kulov finished as world number one this year you know big well done to to those guys and coach of wesley is rob morgan who you know a british guy he then got joe salisbury and rajiv ram and coach the those boys david o'hare from from ireland and and then obviously lloyd doing what he's done with with harry and and then we've also gotten a big shout out to julian cash and, and Henry Patton, who have won nine ATP yeah. Challenger events this year. Just incredible. They're playing one more this week. I believe if they make final of that, it guarantees that they're in main draw Australia. Just a, a monumental effort. And the mastermind behind that, whether it's coaches, whether it's the players, and just an incredible achievement that British tennis is having, is Louis Kaye. And... To spend a week with Louis, I was furiously writing as he was talking, just downloading his mind. The guy is a genius. He's a, he's a genius. He's full of passion. He has set a blueprint out there that almost anybody that's got the right skills, he will create a top 10 doubles player in the world. And he, for me, will go down in the history of being the, one of the best ever tennis coaches. You know, yes, the big part of it's been in doubles, but nobody will, has got the record that he's got. So I know he was on the podcast. We will share the link to, to he's just the most downloaded podcast still that we do have. And I would say that as an episode that you can't miss. But Louis, if you're listening to it, you're a legend. Thank you for all that you do for, for tennis and, and also for British tennis. I was thinking about it when Lloyd said, you know, Davis Cup is still his goal. How many players can say that they're, you know, fifth best pair in the world? Was he number 11 or number 10? Well, he, he's 12. Oh, Harry, he's 12. They're Harry, 11 and Harry 12. Harry will let you know that. Harry's <laughs> 11 <laughs> 12. So, yeah, how many players are 12 in the world and are not making the Davis Cup team? Because you've got two two players ahead of you from Great Britain. It's amazing. And the fact we've had three world number ones in men's doubles in the last 10, 15 years or so is just well, even less, amazing. Five years, I think, yeah. Amazing. And to the avid listeners out there, I would like to apologise. I know we've been a little bit slower with, with a couple of the episodes going out in November, but we do have loads coming your way. So watch out the next next two or three weeks. Julian Cash and Henry coming up in the next few weeks to talk about their incredible year. We've got Tamara Zidanecek. We've got Dave Miley. And as I've promised for a while, and this one is an absolute cracker, you know, if we're talking about someone who has a way of words, Robbie Koenig, the incredible commentator who was also a former 
top 60 in the world doubles player. So loads more to come. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.